0: Welcome to As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio, where every week we talk about one Alkaline Trio song. And this week, it's Wake Up Exhausted by Tegan and Sarah, by the Alkaline Trio. I wake up exhausted, it's morning, it's back to sleep, to oh yeah. oh yeah, oh yeah, David, Anthony, Tim, Crisp. We
1: forgot about one. We did lose sight of one. That is my bad, listeners. But guess what? That means you get more content. So who wins?
0: You do. As your podcast about Alkaline Trio, every week we talk about one Alkaline Trio song. This week we're talking about one that we were talking about a long, long time ago when Uh we started doing this podcast. Like, oh, it'll be really interesting when we talk about the Tegan... And Sarah cover that they did, and then we had uh, well time has passed, mm-hmm. and we managed to forget about this one in the transference of lists of mm-hmm. songs, and we were reminded of it by one of our patrons over at Patreon.com/slash As You Were, and uh, yeah, so when we signed off last week, we said we've got two of these left now. We have two of these left after this yes. week.
1: You get you get a little more out of us, and uh, I'm happy about it. I, I'm happy to have a little more, uh, especially because, yeah, I kind of can't believe I forgot about this one to be totally honest. Um, because I definitely uh, have a lot of affinity for this song, if not maybe the recorded version of it, though.
0: Yeah. And and it, it was one of those things, David, that when we started and we were sort of getting ex- excited about the prospect of doing this, and for you, there was a lot of excitement over, well, I'm really excited for you to hear a lot of things that, you know, might not have come up on your radar, mm-hmm. you know, the Broken Wing EP, and then things like the Tegan and Sarah cover that they did Mm -hmm. where we're we're talking about an era of the band where um, a lot of old fans kind of dropped off maybe thought there wasn't too much left from the Alkaline Trio for us but then you see these little moments such as a Tegan and Sarah cover come up where it's like whoa okay that's if anything, it's very different, yeah, it is very different and i guess I guess kind of to
1: start, what is your relationship to Tegan and Sarah if you have
0: one at all uh, it's kind of uh not non-existent um they were they were a band that I had a lot of different friends who really liked them. I remember my high school friends um we're getting into them, and this would be like late high school era for me. And then in college, um, they were definitely a band that like people I knew liked, but I never really had like a sit down relationship with them. I remember that time very well, and I think that they get, for me, the way they're kind of filed into things is they're part of. A time where I was going to myspace.com. Sure, as we all did. <laughs> and um, I think that this is an association that I have just based on, like, the friends that I had who who liked this band a lot. But I do kind of lump them in with the um, sort of the the B players on the Saddle Creek roster. So bands like uh, Tilly in the Wall, Sun Ambulance. Those people who were putting out Mm. Azure Ray, people who were putting out records on Saddle Creek that weren't uh, Bright Eyes or Cursive, Um, Mm. even though they're not part of that, it was sort of like by association. That's where I sort them. But I'm sure that you have a, a deeper relationship with them because you have a deeper relationship with almost all music.
1: Yes. uh, I mean, I own their vinyl box set, so that should tell you enough about how I feel. Oh. Um, But that's, to be fair, that box set runs up through Sainthood, their record from 2009, and that's about where I fall off. But for me, um, so this is actually a pretty weird link and a pretty weird way to go about getting into them. And my journey with Tegan and Sarah starts with a band called American Steel. Ah. Because American Steel was a kind of cool Bay Area punk band, put out a couple good LPs, late 90s early 2000s broke up and the band started uh basically started a new project called communique which is m- much more in I- if if your association with tegan is that they were like b-tier saddle creek uh i would call communique d-tier saddle creek where they were really trying to be like the faint and like the rapture uh, and shit like that sure. it wasn't very really good but they had a record called poison arrows which had a black cover and like kind of a red flower in the middle and i remember being at a record store and being like oh it's the new communique record and i bought it and it was the new tegan and sarah record so jealous because they have a very similar cover Uh uh-huh um and because it was like a used record or whatever and i was like ah fuck and i got home and put it on i had no context for who tegan and sarah were i was completely ignorant of them as a band And I fucking fell in love with that record. Love Um, it. So jealous. Uh, Like, totally bowled me over. And I, like, just went real deep. And so then I got the record Previous. And then in 07, they put out the record The Con, which I think most people considered to be their kind of like the masterwork of that era of Tegan and Sarah. Kind of like a really cool, like, kind of indie rock record. Um, I think that's the one Chris Walla produced from Death Cab. Hunter from AFI, I think, played bass on the whole thing so they kind of had like things are correct yeah like they kind of had like they were kind of punk adjacent and in that moment um so in 07 the con comes out 07 i believe is also when new wave by against me comes out and look who's on that record tegan quinn singing on what i think is the best song from that record um absolutely the
0: best song on that record
1: yeah, like, far and away from when I first got New Wave, I was like, this is the best song here. I still think that song is awesome. Um, and I think her contributions to it are really sick. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Jump a year later, and Alcline Trio is putting out their major label debut. And, oh, there's a 7-inch there's coming out for a song called Help Me. And what's on the B-side? A Tegan and Sarah cover. I'm interested. Um... And that's more or less my relationship with that band and to this song
0: uh, in kind of the funniest possible way. I'd just like to add uh, like a, a small edit to your information on the con. Um, Hunter played bass on all of Tegan's songs. Matt Sharp. Sharp of Weezer and The Rentals played bass on all of Sarah's songs. Well, there you go.
1: In a, a thing for uh, it's two very different people to get but you know why not mm-hmm. um i bet one of that them, record one is, of them could sick. provide harmonies if necessary yeah um sick fucking record though uh but yeah i remember being pretty stoked for this because i remember like the seven inch and maybe this like a cdp version of this came out in advance of the album um and I will say that initially I was like, "One, I think wake up exhausted is a fantastic song title mm-hmm. um, and I was initially a little let down because it's it's the type of cover I don't normally like, and it's basically just Dan playing the song acoustically, which the song lends itself to that,
0: but rarely does that thrill me so, uh, to
1: be totally frank
0: so just to just to clarify the types of c- covers you don't like is it anybody named dan covering covering an acoustic or is it just dan andriano covering an acoustic uh it's it's anybody
1: named dan covering anything acoustic okay uh that is a uh, it's a real sticking point for me uh no i mean i just find that it's it's the very it's uh, the simplest way to approach that type of material um i will say i think this song It stands voice really well yeah i think it makes some level of sense and i think it's a cool like wink and a nod but there's actually a version of it that only exists in a pretty like uh
0: lo-fi youtube rip that i think is a little better and have you seen this tim i have seen this this is the full band performance that is um of course for the famous spinner.com podcast the interface uh-huh and
1: for those of you who've not seen libs, it um, uh,
0: name of a thing well
1: i mean that's the thing is like so there's there's like another cover that we've not really discussed but it also only exists in like youtube video form so i don't think that really fits our criteria because there's a few of those where it's like well we don't need to talk about them covering kkk took my baby away live Mm -hmm. you know that's not really a canonical version but there was this weird period of time where like uh you know this was the start of bands doing like live sessions video online this was one of them they did one for El country to one for myspace where they cover cut here by the cure this i think was damnesia era because everyone's playing an acoustic guitar um and there's also the archers of loaf cover that was done at my former uh workplace but none of those were physically released some of those are hard to find i don't feel like they fit into our criteria but this one this uh spinner whatever the fuck i think that was a subsidiary of aol at the time uh, this one brings Tegan into the fold, much like Against Me did, and it's funny having read Laura Jane Grace's book about how much animosity there was between the Alkaline Trio and Against Me after their 2006 tour together, <laughs> that it is just kind of funny.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it would be a real sticking point for whoever that, uh, that Tegan worked with them first. Yes, I'm sure um but what you gonna do what you gonna do quick question what was your favorite uh cover that you witnessed during your time at the av club that you were there for
1: i mean i was there for some pretty uh iconic ones i mean i'm in the video for the the they might be giants chumbawamba uh-huh. Uh huh. I'm in that two, little round room. Two of
0: your absolute favorite things in all of yep. music—they might be giants and tub thumping.
1: Yep, just two things that really go together. I'm wearing a planes with Snake and for stars shirt in that video. Um, I think, I mean, my favorite—the one that I hold up as my like crowning achievement of things I—I I was able to put together—was the Jeff Rosenstock AJJ mashup. 10 minute long cover set where they yeah. did like 20 some songs um because i always appreciated when a band or an artist came in and was really prepared and like you could tell like did something with it and i think this speaks to why my i have such a strong distaste for just straight up acoustic covers because i also saw a lot of those yeah. in my time yeah which you know sometimes you'd see the band come in and they would be carrying a couple acoustic guitars and you're like ah, oh, fuck and then they would literally just kind of work it out right before we filmed it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that didn't thrill me because it just felt like the, well, we didn't want to invest any time in this. You know, we didn't, we didn't even try it at sound check. We just like, we're just doing it as an obligation. And when people came in really rehearsed, I was always very impressed. Um, But a, a, a second favorite is probably when we got Napalm Death to come in and they were supposed to cover Motorhead. But there must have been something lost in translation from American English to British English because their publicist did not communicate that they were supposed to do this cover. So they just played their own songs. <laughs> <laughs> and we just got to watch me palm death for a while. That was pretty cool. Um, trying to think of other good ones. Uh, the guy who did I forget his name. I think it was Ben Rector. Maybe he was like a cello guy who did a Henry Rollins song that was very sick. Oh, cool. Uh, cause no, it was the last song. No one wanted to do low self opinion by Henry Rollins. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think th- those are the standouts for me. There were some weird location ones that were kind of weird, but those are, those
0: are the ones where I'm like, these like took some doing. Mm-hmm. And I always appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Now, what I, what I think I really like about the, um, full band cover, and I think it, it works to your point too, of, of the. Um, the problem with kind of the one guy acoustic cover thing is that especially when you have, you know, in this case, like uh, a, 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 a cis white male just covering a, a song by, um, you know, a couple a couple uh, lady twins, there is a sort of like, I think, not so coded sense of irony to the whole thing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, it's. I mean, it can definitely be the case, yeah. And um, you know, obviously, if it's like Dan's covering Alanis Morissette, it's obviously a lot. It's obviously a lot more obvious. Um, mm. But uh, the the full band performance of it really, I think, accentuates the fact that the riff in this song and sort of the whole kind of like tempo to it feels very alkaline trio in the year 2007 i mean that's the thing is the the full band version especially the way that i think
1: i think this song to me i always really have loved it and i do think that version really speaks to what's great about it is it has a lot of dynamic shifts and i think I think it has that really nice lead guitar line mm-hmm. that I think gets a little doesn't feel as powerful in a stripped down version to me. But also, Derek really puts in the work and understands the song of when to kind of drop out and just be doing the hats and like bass drum and kind of bringing it back. And there's just a lot of little flourishes in the song that I think get kind of removed. And I think that's the problem to what you're speaking to with some of like. I, anything that is like a purely ironic uh cover or purely ironic exercise i i find very i don't know, kind of insulting to all parties mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you know and i think there are really good songs that you can like all right like i i see something here and i want to pull something out of it but the when you kind of flatten it in just that like guy playing acoustic guitar format it's just like this is you know it's not that different from someone playing hey ya on the ukulele it's just kind of like okay we get it like juxtaposition um but I, I i think dan performs a song like lyrically i feel like it's something that also fits kind of into their wheelhouse oh you yeah know? oh like, yeah th- there's no part of this that i think feels alien and it makes me think that even the acoustic cover is done is like hey we really like this and are maybe like not that tegan and sarah necessarily needed their help but like is kind of a like, hey, we want to put some people onto this kind of move. And I think that's how I've always read this one a little more than their other covers. Like, usually they're covering stuff that they are heavily influenced by. the Cure, the dam, Mm -hmm. no means no. And this is the first, like, kind of, like, contemporary cover they do that I think is like, hey, here's a thing outside our world that, like, we're stoked on. Yeah. Uh, That's cool to me.
0: Yeah, and I think, too, that at that time there is a little bit more of a um, of a of a point of demarcation between genres mm-hmm. and the idea that a band like the alkaline Trio would be covering something like this feels really foreign and that has definitely dissipated in the last 15 years or so um, mm-hmm. I You know, there's a there's a long essay that can be written about why, but you look at someone like uh, I think Julian Baker is a great example of someone who comes from a punk world but plays very not punk music, and the amount of reach that she has through all circles of any type of underground music. Mm -hmm. is so significant and the idea that you know a band would be doing a julian baker cover now does not seem that like crazy
1: yeah no i I mean i think you're totally right and i think part of it too is like all right to slam back to you know 15 years ago i remember getting in tegan and sarah and i i think there was um you kind of alluded to but i think there was a difference in uh especially culture around uh male identifying people being into this music written where it's like oh like these are two queer twin sisters from canada mm-hmm. and people would be like oh what's this like lilith fair bullshit you know there was right. a real kind of like i think open dismissiveness of um female songwriters still uh, at that point in time mm-hmm. and i think that's yeah, probably still there i think it's eroded a fair bit but like you know i definitely remember having friends who are like i don't like songs where girls sing or like shit like that and i felt like this was whether intentional or not a very genuine attempt to kind of like push at that and i i think you know that erosion i think of like you know, hitting on the Julian Baker thing, or, like, I mean, even Lucy Dacus, another member of Boyd Genius. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, they have roots kind of in this world but make something that's very different, but you can kind of sense the cultural sharedness. And I I think Tegan and Sarah kind of had that earlier than a lot of people. And what's really interesting is, like, we mentioned, you know, obviously the Alkaline Trio and against me, but I, I thought of it as you were talking there, but, like, there is also the weird kind of male gaziness of it, That happens, too, in the punk scene, which is um, from a little band called No Effects. And I don't know if you're familiar with their 2009 record, Coaster, Uh um, which was also called Frisbee, if you bought the vinyl version. But they had a unique song on each version, either called Creeping Out Sarah or Creeping Out Tegan, that is all Uh about Fat Mike um, asking some, you know, really fucked up questions to them and creeping them out in person and it being kind of a joke for him. Um, so when I say that, like, there was kind of still a bias against, like, the non-dude uh, singer-songwriter thing, you need look no further than No Effects, who is always there existing to
0: prove my point. <laughs> um, oh, let's not get into Tyler, the creator, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I think that there's, there's definitely something to be read into just the um, you know the fact that you have all of these all of these men, um, Alkaline Trio, um, Chris Walla, you know Matt Sharp, Hunter from AFI. All of these people are are looking to do things with this band. It does seem like there's something that is unspoken at that time of like wanting to bring in you know basically everything that could possibly come with um you know like pulling tegan and sarah into this world and mm-hmm. you know whether that's musical elements whether it's just the fact that they're you know non-men or that they're yeah. queer ah. like all things Give me one All right.
1: You want me to pick it up from there? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think you're right. I think it's a very obvious acknowledgement of like one. I think all of these people we're talking about we're getting a little older, and I, I don't want to say we're growing out, but we're maturing out of like, you know, it's it's ten years after some of these people were writing their first record or forming these bands, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, and like it's natural for your influences and what you want to make to grow. And I think, you know, I imagine like everyone, you're looking for stuff that comes out that's exciting to you. And I feel like something like Tegan and Sarah, to me, they crossed a lot of lines where like I knew a few of like my punk friends who were into them, you know, like pre the con and and, like uh, very big fans of them and like would go see them and stuff. And like, I think they kind of were in this weird place of like being kind of like, mainstream alt rock but kind of indie rock and kind of pop and like but like kind of culturally punk and like Mm -hmm. they they existed in a weird place and i think they're one of those bands that i feel like right now doesn't get some of the credit they deserve um because not only for, for that moment but what follows is like in 2009 they put out sainthood which was like start of kind of a crossover thing and it's really the last record i really vibe on but 2012 they put out a record called heartthrob and that was like they were kind of the first band culturally of that world and like the bigger indie quote-unquote world to be like all right we're gonna be a pop band now Mm -hmm. we are gonna be like 80s pop and like they're kind of still doing that and ultimately good on them like i mean i think they have the charisma and the personality to make that happen but you know, now everyone has made that pivot. Yeah. Not everyone, but like totally. a lot of people have followed that course. Mm-hmm. And it's funny where it's like in the kind of like quote unquote poptimism conversation, I wonder how much they're not being included in it because they kind of skirted those lines. They kind of existed in, but also just kind of around a lot of worlds that now like everyone kind of has
0: pop ambitions. Um And it's... I don't it's very interesting to me. Yeah. I think that um what what is interesting about about their uh, their attempt to like bridge that is that what really ends up I think like really pushing uh w- the wheels on on optimism is a Carly Rae Jepsen coming in. It's someone from the outside coming mm. in and and going you know, it it fits so perfectly with where things are going, but it's, it tends to be that like when the person from outside the world comes in really makes a difference. Um, But you're, you're right. Like we've been, we've sat through like 10 years now of rock bands making their pop records and uh, to (laughs) diminishing
1: yeah I mean I think it's I think it's an interesting thing i've uh i'm gonna reference two very different articles, but there was one that came out I forget when, but I think it was I think it was after uh, Heartthrob came out. It was for BuzzFeed and I believe Jessica Hopper wrote it, and it was a really interesting profile about like Tegan and Sarah and kind of the early part of the streaming era and the early part of like you know um commercial licensing as an important part of success in in pop music formulas mm-hmm. that I would really recommend. Um, but I read an article this past week, um, that now, um, like something like over 50% of all, um, like rap songs that become pop hits feature guitar in them. And we're in this really interesting nexus where, uh, guitar-based bands are trying to lean in just to like essentially what the 10 years ago thought of like what pop music was like Mm -hmm. 80 hates and like basically it's like sinking hi hats and like bass hits and snares but now more often a lot of successful uh rap musicians are sampling guitars as rhythm or using them in their music so we're in this weird kind of space where like you know, I'm of the belief and have been for about the past year that I do think rock music, quote-unquote, is going to be more popular again mm-hmm. um moving forward. And I think that's kind of proof of that, is that, like, I think people have realized they've kind of hit the end of the road of how much you can just do with just pure beat making from percussive instruments. You've got to bring in something else. And I think we're seeing a resonance with that. And I think, obviously, the rise of things like you know post malone or the entire shell industry around travis barker is pretty obvious oh, yeah. that like oh yeah. the pop music thing is like really shifting to where we were about 20 years ago where we're like in- entering the pop punk phase and i think we're gonna see a kind of rise in that but it's just interesting because i feel like the the artists that are trying to transition into it who come from more of the punk indie whatever singer songwriter realm are doing like a dated version of it and i feel like that's why that that kind of massive crossover success has eluded them. That's Mm. my kind of pet theory now.
0: I love that. I love the idea of that too, just because you think about, you think about kind of the, the subconscious uh, trickery of, you know, the laying the foundations of guitars in the songs um, where it's not as, it's not as overt yeah, those guitars are going to come in huge and it's going to just hit everyone in a spot that they didn't know that they were ripened for.
1: Yeah. And it's like funny because I've I have a couple friends who are really into a lot of the, uh, you know, the, the kind of Travis Barker crew yeah. of things. And like they'll send me songs and I've got to admit, like they are essentially like the songs Blink-182 should be making. And I think Blink-182 is such an interesting test case and it relates to Matt Skiba because this has really been since he joined the band. Uh But, you know, they're working with John Feldman, especially on that last record, Nine, is so indicative of the fact that, like, they're going for what is, like, the older white dude's idea of what pop music is. Uh But what's actually succeeding in pop music is essentially Travis Barker just producing Blink-182 songs for other people to sing on. Yeah. And I think that's going to be a really interesting thing moving forward because you know obviously um nothing but love to mark hoppus hope his uh fight with cancer hell yeah treats him well big respect to the man but like i would love to just hear them confidently be like all right travis you're producing the record we do next because clearly we don't need yeah like we we knew what we were doing all along and i think i it's cool to see artists become a little more self-assured and not just like trust the producer because you don't really need to anymore mm-hmm. and i think the next era of pop music the next five to ten years is going to be really fascinating
0: um i i love the idea of uh of travis doing that because when if it if it fails it's just like on paper such a terrible idea because he's yeah like, like no offense travis barker uh, uh, seems to have just a he just doesn't seem like he's got a different type of intelligence. He's 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 smart in different ways. Um, <laughs> he's an intuitive man, uh, man. A few words, but like remember, fucking eight years ago when ASAP Rocky like opened his record with a Lucero sample and ended his record with a fucking Rod Stewart song. Well, it's shit like that, or like um shouts to my homies of the best
1: good band podcast we've been talking about rancid but like i think people kind of forget that like whether you like it or not that first transplants record was like very influential on what happened after oh my god yeah you kind of forget that like travis for like 20 years has been at the forefront of a lot of different trends in Mm -hmm. a lot of things and that's just fucking crazy. And I think I think we're seeing a return to people with a really deep knowledge and a really uh, large set of influences getting to make records, like Say What You Will of Post Malone. It's like he he knows his stuff, like photos of him at Gate Creeper shows and hanging out with those dudes and then doing full Nirvana cover sets and then making music that I think is largely garbage. Mm-hmm. He's, he's at least got an ear, even if he doesn't... Um, and it, an ear, but I would say, like, the smarts to know not to chase uh, what he thinks is cool. Yeah, and totally. That's that's an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. And I think I think we've seen... I think the positive side of Poptimism is that we've seen a lack of, like, self-consciousness in, in artists just making stuff. And sometimes that can be not something I like, but I kind of respect the fact that it's just, like, a lot of these people do not care about looking cool. Totally. Because we live in the... The the younger generation is a lot more earnest
0: than we ever were. Absolutely. Um, so quick notes on, uh, this song that we started talking about a long time ago. Uh, I, I don't think that, um, I don't think that Dan and Tegan's voices match up too well at all.
1: Nope. Um, I really don't think they do. And I think the choice to have them singing together is an odd one. Yeah. Um, I imagine that is a choice made because it's like, well, if we're going to have her here, we should have her singing. Um, but they couldn't do the back and forth trading lines because against me had done that. Yeah. So maybe it's just the mix of this because sometimes those things don't
0: sound the best, but where I think think their voices just don't just don't match work. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: they're very much kind of hitting two different keys naturally. And like, I like both their voices. I like both their voices on their versions of this song, mm-hmm. but it does kind of slam together in a way. That's a little unfortunate. Um, what do you rate it? Well, which version are we writing? My question,
0: <laughs> are we doing the acoustic? Are we doing the ALL session? Are we do both. I'm cumulative. I'm going to go with the, the live version. Um, And I'm going to rate that a three out of five. I'm going to give it a three and a half um, because, again, I think the performance
1: is better. I like that song more than a three and a half, but I don't like that version as much as the version I like.
0: Yeah. Um, It's a fun video. We'll post it in the uh, episode notes to this podcast a great uh chance for you to watch matt play bass Uh uh-huh rarity always fun watching guitar players play bass because they hold it in such a concentrated way
1: yep he very he's very
0: focused which i like Uh yeah it's
1: also like the most normal he's ever looked
0: i know i know that bass is like high because he needs it to be uh Uh and yeah he he doesn't have he doesn't have much uh much bandwidth for him to do anything other than play the bass so it's like yeah let's watch him concentrate Ooh, <laughs> strange different
1: and i love that they cut away to him because we're like well he's kind of the face of the band but now he's just like hanging out playing bass and like grooving mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> i don't know what to do with this mm-hmm. he's doing that
0: head nod yep uh well, they grooving as you were a podcast about alkaline true every week we talk about one Alkaline Trio song. This week, it's Wake Up Exhausted by Tegan and Sarah. This is our podcast. It's called As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio. We thank you for joining us. I invite you to rate, subscribe, tell a friend. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Were. Go on over there. Throw us a few bucks. We got a zine coming to any and all who are subscribed to the Patreon as just a nice little send-off. For this podcast that we've been doing for the past three years. It's been a wonderful, wonderful time and experience. More than three years, even. Jeez. Yeah, well, there, there were a couple long breaks for uh, reasons, yeah. as our listeners may remember. Uh-huh. I'm also
1: sending you something that I was referencing with the They Groove-In. So
0: oh, hell yeah. Check your phone in a minute. Damn, I'm going to go cut the grass. I can't wait to groove while I'm on the lawnmower. Uh, we'll be back next week with uh, a little fun exercise in the penultimate episode of As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio. We are looking forward to that. We will see you then. Thank you, friends.
1: I can stand, but I'm I am already.